0: And I have to start with a confession that I have recently been under the influence of Lee's Boot Barn in Fort Worth, Texas. (laughs) I walked in, the leather hit me, things started twinkling, I blacked out and walked out with three pairs of boots. And so, including these that are on my feet. So I called my husband from the airport and I said, Babe, I need to confess something to you. I'm sorry, not sorry, that Texas has taken a hold of me. (laughs) and I bought some boots, but I got the family discount. Anyone ever try to justify But I got the family discount, and all he did was just roll his eyes and say, okay, I'll see you when you get home. So um, I love Texas and like to spend a good amount of time there, and so he forgave me, I have repented, and now I stand before you pretty excited. And Mills Fleet Farm does not have these, so there you go, I have looked. So we're continuing this journey Uh, Called Under the Influence, and today I have been given the title Talking About No to Impurity and Yes to Sensitivity. So let me start with a question, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, if you want to nod, can you know by your own personal experience or you have seen what it means to be under the influence? Maybe it was college, (laughs) maybe it was high school, maybe it was by your own choice. Maybe it was something someone gave you, maybe it was um, something that you didn't think was going to have that big of an impact on you. Whatever it is, I think that most of us know and understand what it is to be under the influence. As a board member of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, I have the privilege of regularly hearing the stories of people overcoming what it means to be under the influence. Before every board meeting, we usually have somebody who's in the long-term program who comes and stands before us and shares their story of what it is to have been under the influence, but now all the more pushing those things away and now receiving the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. It is utterly inspiring. And if you've ever had the Teen Challenge Choir here, or you have seen them, or you have heard them talk about what freedom looks like, you know that these are some warrior women and men who are standing before you as miracles of God. The reality is that is all of us, that all of us, whether it's been a substance or it's been something else, many of us have been under the influence. In all seriousness, I can tell you that I was not under the influence of a substance, But was once under the influence of a leader, a very charismatic man who would inspire people with his words, but would also condemn people if you ever got out of line with his words. It was a terrifying experience, particularly because I knew the word, had been in seminary. It doesn't take being a simple-minded person just to, to be under the influence. You can be in your right mind, in the right place, and still come up against something that influences you more than you ever thought. I'm grateful to my husband, and I'm grateful to people that helped us to get out of that situation. Because I can tell you that if I was still there, I'm not quite sure where I'd be. So whether it's substances or whether it's the persuasion of people or persons, it's easy to get consumed and overwhelmed and find yourself falling under the prey and being under the influences of people or things or substances. The reality is is that each one of us have got to guard our hearts and our minds from being under the influence because the reality is regardless of the thing that has influenced you, Satan desires more than anything that we would be under his influence. That we would be persuaded to be more like him. That we wouldn't take our faith so seriously. That we would be so consumed and so distracted by the things in our own lives that we would fall under the prey of the enemy. Cornell Law School defines under the influence as this way. To be under the influence is an impairment to any degree. To any degree of an individual's ability to safely perform the activity in question. If a person is under the influence, the person has consumed something intoxicating in such a quantity, whether small or great, to cause an adverse effect on their actions, reactions, conduct, movement or mental processes, or impairs their reactions to an appreciable degree. How many of you know it doesn't take drugs or alcohol for you to be under the influence to cause you to make decisions that are contrary to the gospel? Maybe it's something that comes through your screen. Maybe it's wanting so much to be successful that you work and you work and you work 60 and 70 and 80 hours a week, and then you wake up and realize you haven't been home and your kids don't know what you look like. Whatever the influential things are, all of us want to belong. All of us want to be influential people. But the reality is if we're under the influence of more things than we are of the kingdom of God, it is easy for us to be taken away like an undertow. I remember a time that I went to visit my aunt and uncle, and they live in Texas. And we went to the Gulf of Mexico, and I had never been in the ocean before. Lake girl, Minnesota. Minnesota. I didn't know anything about undertows. I didn't know anything about riptides and current. So what I was told to do by my aunt and uncle is, listen, if you're gonna get out there in the water, we want you to find something on the horizon to keep your eye on so that when the currents come, you can actually look up from time to time and mark where you are. So I was like, okay, that's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went and I got out in the sparkling water and I'm picking up shells and I'm washing them off. And an hour later, I look up and there is nothing in front of me that I recognize. And all of a sudden, I started to panic, looking from side to side, trying to look to see if my aunt and my uncle were on the beach. There was nothing. The markers that I had were not there. And when I opened my eyes and my uncle came running down the beach, I was a mile down the beach. If you've ever been in the ocean, you know that you can get distracted and one little bump after another little bump can have you miles away from where you need to be. It's the same thing with sin. Sin are not always these magnanimous things we do. Sometimes it's one little step. One little it won't hurt any, anybody. One little it's nobody's business but my own. And you find yourself in a worldly undertow that has taken you away from your moorings. And the next thing you do is you panic and you start to look around to wonder who saw it and who is embarrassed. And the next thing you know, you run further from God rather than to God. And Satan then starts to say to you, God will never forgive you. That is how he works. Not always in these big things that we do, but oftentimes in these smaller things that we do. That is exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to be people who say that we love God but never share the gospel with anyone. He wants us to be people consumed with fear about the world and how the world is changing. He wants us to be an us and them language. He does not want us to believe that the gospel still transforms, that his blood is sufficient, that he has forgiven us and that you can stand flat-footed with the assurance that if you confess Jesus as Lord, you are forgiven, that he's still working, But in this portion of scripture that we're getting ready to read, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus about impurity and about being under the influence and what it means to be pure. Sometimes as Christians, we can be really clear about pointing the finger at other people who are doing the wrong things, and we forget that we can be as susceptible to the things that have lured them. In fact, many of us were. And so with grace and kindness, we've got to be the kind of people that remember where we once were, far from God, like an undertow being dragged away, and what it now looks like for us to be in the grace of God and to share that truth with other people. So today, as we talk about this word that I've been given, impurity And then this word purity, I want us to think about what this looks like in our own lives. Let's turn to the scripture coming from Ephesians chapter four, two verses 17 through 19, and then two more verses in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen, but please go to your Bibles if you have them as well. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 and 5, 1 through 3 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. There's the word we're focusing on. And they are full of greed. Chapter five, verse one, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So as you can see in these portions of scripture, Paul is warning them, I insist on it, you can't live as you once did as the Gentiles. The Gentiles here as he's talking about it are not Jews versus Gentiles. He's not talking about their pedigree, Jews versus non-Jews. He's using the term Gentile to talk about those who are Christians versus those who are not. Remember, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and earlier in the year, we were doing a series on Ephesians. And for those of you who are here, you may remember that one time I stood before you and I tried to describe for you what the city of Ephesus was like. A primary trade route, a place of incredible uh, busyness. It was like a modern-day New York City. It was a place where every kind of thing that could be worshipped could be worshipped. There were temples of Artemis. There were places for running of the horses. There were smaller temples. There were places where people could come and worship all manner of things. There were libraries and places who were Epicureans, who loved to philosophize about things, could all be there. But the reality was they were beholden and they were bowing down to things, trying to find a sense of identity. And here was the Apostle Paul called by God, who stood in this ancient New York City kind of space, Imagine being in Times Square and preaching the gospel. So people were coming out of temples. People were realizing that these giant edifices were not filling them. They were coming out of the libraries, being tired of themselves. They were coming out of the streets. And this small man, who had been saved on a road called Damascus, preached the gospel. And the church of Ephesus was born. A multicultural, global church was born. And so here what we see is Paul saying to this new church, this multi-ethnic church, this church where people used to worship all manner of gods, he's warning them. He's saying, I am insisting on it. You can't live like you used to live. Brothers and sisters, the same word is for us today. You can't live like you used to live. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and then you wonder why you have no spiritual power. You can't do the same things you used to do and just ask God to forgive you every time you willingly fall into something. It is either Jesus fully or it's not. You're either a churchgoer or a disciple. But this is a season where we've got to clarify to the world who we are, not just where we attend church, not just who we like and we look like. We've got to say we are brothers and sisters in Christ, full with the spirit of God, forgiven. And we're not trying to use that against the world. We're reaching out to the world saying, come, come. The world is getting darker and darker. I am so grateful for this church because every time I'm here, you're growing more and more. That tells me That we are tired and exhausted from trying to live in the shadows of our own lives, and we recognize the validity of having a church, a place where people aren't using our past against us, but teaching us how to be free from it. This is a good church. You got a good pastor. It's not about perfection, it's about growing. How many of you are grateful to be in a place where you can grow? a place where you can meet some family and some friends, a place where your background is not used against you, but an asset, a place where your past can become a testimony to bring somebody else in because they can say, man, if God did it for you, maybe he'll do it for me. The reality is he's saying to the Gentiles, he's saying to the the saved people, you can't live as you used to do because he's saying, here's what has happened to them. These Gentiles, these individuals, who, who are identified now as impure, they've made a decision. They've made a decision to live the way they want to live and do what they want to do. They are the ones that are mocking the Christians. They're ones that are saying, you're dumb for believing in the things of God. But more than that, I want to show you through that portion of Scripture an equation of how Paul got to this point of calling them impure. Be clear. Paul is not using this word impure um, easily. He's not just marking people and calling people impure. He's saying this is a decided decision that they've made. And it is heartbreaking. But more than that, he's saying you can go right back there if you're not careful. So let's take a look at this. But first, let's say let's look at what spiritual purity is. If Paul is talking to us and warning us through the book of Ephesians what impurity looks like, what does purity look like? What's our goal? What what does it look like to be a Christian who's walking in purity? GotQuestions.org says purity is freedom from anything that contaminates. Purity is the quality of being faultless, uncompromised, or unadulterated. Pure water is free from any other substances. Pure gold has been refined to such a degree that all dross, right, all other kinds of metals, all other kinds of things that are initially mixed in have been burned out by a high degree of heat. And a pure life, which is what you and I are after, is one in which sin no longer determines the choices that we make. Hallelujah. Does anybody else want to be there? I want to be so free from sin that it doesn't determine the choices that I make. That if I sin, I've I've stumbled into it, but I pop up and I say, Lord, forgive me. There's a difference between willful sinning and sinning because you didn't see something coming or you're still growing in your faith in God. There's a difference there. But I want to be one who has a life in which sin doesn't get to determine what I do, nor does my sin, past, present, or future determine my identity. Some of us have been so caught. Some of you in here are still so caught up by the things that you've done. You sit in here week after week and you're still not free because you've got to believe for yourself that the blood is sufficient, that when Jesus died on that cross, it was for you. That when you confessed, whatever you confessed before the Lord, it was sufficient. Now the enemy will cause you to feel like it's not. He loves to work in the undertow. He loves to work by bringing you far away from God. And then he loves to whisper in your ear and say, remember when? Remember what you did? Remember all the people that were left? Remember when? But you need to tell him, I don't remember and neither does God because the blood was sufficient. And the only reason you're bringing it to me is because your time is short, but my eternity is long in Jesus. You've got to know how to get back at the enemy, and you've got to tell him, I know who I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm saved. I may not have it all together all the time, but my God does. I may struggle sometimes, but I am grateful for what God is doing in me. So it means then that we have got to be people who are constantly pursuing the things of God, not one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Not patty caking it, not playing games, not going back to our old escapades. We've got to choose who we're going to be. And the word of God tells us this, choose you this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord and decide what that looks like. So purity for us means we've got to live in a way that we are not moved by sin. Instead, we are constantly keeping sin and the enemy under our feet. So how did these Gentiles in Ephesians 4 get to this place of being impure? Well, here's the equation. If we're going to look at it based on what was given to us in Ephesians chapter 4 in those first verses, 17 through 19, Paul says that their thoughts were futile. It means they were ruminating and thinking about things that had no earthly good. They started to think about and constantly process the negative. They constantly were with other people where they would think constantly about all that was wrong. And their thoughts became futile. And not only were their thoughts futile, add to that, their understanding became darkened because they were ignorant. They started to become so, their, their thoughts became like a cloud that descended and their thoughts were darkened. It means they became debased. Their minds were like what the thoughts of Satan were and they started to become ignorant. That means anything that, was the, that sounded like God became ignorant. And I'm seeing that in the culture today. You talk about Jesus, the people are like, that's dumb. Christianity isn't real. The Bible was written by a bunch of men. That's not really true stuff. Listen, this is why we've got to study to show ourselves approved. It's why I needed to take on apologetics to learn how to defend the faith. Because the reality is there are people who are coming hard against the gospel and if you don't know how to defend it, you'll never try to offer it. You need to know how to stand up in the face of people, know the difference between people who are just trying to bait you and get in a fight and people who are really curious and are saying, help me understand this gospel. Why Jesus? Why not other religions? There are clear answers to that, but we've got to be people who are hungry enough that we're willing to do that work. So their thoughts were futile. Then they became ignorant, and now they're callous. It means their hearts have become like stone, like a callous that you've ever had on your foot when you've got to shave it off. Their hearts have become like that. So hard, so impenetrable, that anything that would be common sense to them They are no longer receiving. Their hearts are now hard. Their minds are now darkened. They have now become greedy. It means now they're clamoring for anything that's going to fill them, anything that's going to satisfy, anything that's going to bring them another high, anything that's going to bring them more of what they want. They're now so greedy for it that they can't help but long for it. They want more and more and more and more. And now, then he said, now they've gotten to this point where they're so calloused and so numb and so lacking sensitivity. Now they've just given themselves over to impurity. Now they just want to say, that's all I want is whatever I want. I don't want anything else but that impurity then is not the result of one thing but a progression of a number of things I hope that's good news to some of you because here's the reality some of us have done one thing and we think that we have fallen out of the grace of God anyone ever felt that I've done one thing and God is not going to forgive me impurity is a decision to willingly walk away from God and to continue to live a debased life no matter what but here is also the good news God's hand, his power, and his blood are still strong enough to reach somebody who has tried to decide to be impure. God is still reaching the Satanist. He's still reaching the person that is broken, the murderer. He's still moving, and until Jesus Christ comes, he's still going to continue to reach the furthest out person. But beyond that equation, here's the harder thing that I want you to hear. Here is the heartbreaking result and warning Against impurity in Ephesians 5, 5 through 7. Here's what Paul says For this you can be sure, no immoral, no impure, here's the word, or greedy person, for such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Here he's saying, If you are an idolater, if all you want is to feed yourself, if you are so debased, then there is no inheritance for you because you've become an idolater. It means you have replaced God with all of the other things that you want. And the word of God tells us that when we look at the Ten Commandments, the first is this, that thou shall have no other gods before me. And if you've made a God out of something else, he said, I have nothing for you. And he says, goes on to say further, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, don't let anyone persuade you that you can have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and think that you're fine. Don't think that the people come who are saying that are in the temple saying, "Well, you can worship here on Tuesdays and go to church on Wednesdays." Don't let people say you, "Yeah, you can party with us on Saturday night and stumble into church on Sunday morning." No, sir. No, ma'am. You cannot. And if we love and know God, we will not. Having a whatever, being with your friends, having, that's one thing. But bowing at the altar of debauchery is a whole other thing. And God is saying, while I love you and I will forgive you, I cannot do anything for the mind that is debased. So the warning is that while the Gentiles are living an impure life, hear this, Christians are still susceptible to the same thing. So while we have repented and while we have asked for forgiveness, if we're not careful, we can get caught in the undertow, family. We can find ourselves sliding away. I had good intentions to stay close to Jesus, but I'm tired. I'm bored. I just need a break. I just need something to fill me. And the next thing you know, we're down miles away from the heart of God. But let's get up from the beach and run back. Praise God for people who are saying this way. Come back. We're right here. That's why we've got to be forgiving, not condemning of people. What happened? You got lost. Come back this way. We've been looking for you. Wouldn't that be great if we as the church were like that? Hey, we've been looking for you. We missed you rather than where have you been? We heard this about you. That's not our job to be Pharisees. Our job is to be believers who are waving to the world. Come this way. Safety is in Jesus. Joy is in Jesus. So we've got to recognize that while we're concerned for the world, We've got to equally be concerned to live for our, in our reality of what God is calling us to. So friends, to live holy, to make disciples, to advance the kingdom, and to fight against the forces of darkness is what we're called to do. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, temperance, and self-control. That's the kind of fruit that ought to come out of us. Be saying there's also fruitless deeds. There's deeds you can do that aren't producing any fruit. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 3 says, Do not rebuke an older person harshly, but exhort them as if they were your father. Treat younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So here's the thing I want you to hear as I close. Do you remember at the very beginning when I was reading chapter 5, verse 1, where it said, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. That is the key, dear friends is that we have got to love God as he loved us. In order for us to walk away from impurity, we have got to take off our old self, fully walk away from, divorce ourselves from the things of our past and put on a new identity that is created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Did you know that you were made to be righteous and holy and you were made and created to be in the image of God that is what you were made for the power of the cross removed from you the reproach of your past and gave you a brand new identity 2 Corinthians 5:17 you all have heard it if any man or woman is in Christ they're a new creation the old things have passed away behold all things become new let the old things die Trust that God has a plan to have great things for you in a new life. That's how we protect ourselves from impurity is daily repenting, daily putting on the mind of Christ, daily putting on the full armor of God, daily taking off the old things that creep back and putting on our new identity because the old self gets corrupted far too easily. And hear this, love is the central narrative of all that Paul is saying that God so loved they use that word so purposefully it, it's a, like a an exclamation point so loved you that while you were yet a sinner while I was yet a sinner Christ died for me that when we weren't even thinking about him he said that's the moment when we were in the worst debauchery of our lives and far from him, he said this is a perfect time when we weren't even thinking about him he said I'll go It was for you in the moment, the worst moment of your life, that the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross became power and salvation for you. That ought to be a hallelujah for somebody. That ought to be a place of rejoicing for somebody to know that when you weren't even thinking about God, he said, I'm thinking about you and I'll prove it. And I so love you that I'll prove it by taking the cross But praise God that the cross couldn't keep him and the grave couldn't keep him and he ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is cheering for us to finish this assignment. So love was the key, friends. Love was the motive. He loved us so much that he's warning us against impurity. He's warning us against comforts. He's warning us against everything that's shiny and sparkly. He's warning us to be aware of how Satan tries to whisper in our ear and give us permission to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Satan wants us to be spiritually impotent. He doesn't care if we come to church. He cares if we believe the truth. He doesn't care if you sit in that seat. He cares if you believe the word of God and actually dare to live it. He doesn't care if you know the Our Father. He cares that you actually want to live it out. He doesn't care whether or not you've confessed sin if you won't tell somebody else the truth of it because you fear going out there and sharing the gospel. You are more powerful, more anointed, more holy, more filled, more saved than you would give yourself credit for. And if the church of Jesus Christ in the world actually stepped into that reality, how might the world around us change? Anyone want to see revival in Delano? Anyone want to take back our high schools? Anyone want to see a place where our kids can go and pray and be safe? Anyone want to see the power of God move? It's not going to happen by looking around for everyone else to do it. It starts by the brave and the willing to step forward and say, Here I am, Lord. I'll go. With all my brokenness and all of my what-ifs, I'll still go. I'll still be a conduit love came down and rescued us y'all love came down and proved itself love came down and founded a church love came down and created a family believers in jesus christ and now that love has got to operate in and through us and go into a world that is so desperate so hungry so lost that they just want a taste of what it is that you have tasted. The Bible said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe some of you are in this place today and you're like, I know what you're saying is true in my heart and in my mind, but I've experienced so much pain or I feel so far gone from God that that I don't know if I can do it. I want you to know that the blood still works. He still forgives. He still cleanses. You don't have to be a person that resigns yourself to impurity. You don't have to operate in fear. Your past doesn't get to control you. Your present circumstances don't get to control you. What might happen in the future doesn't need to scare you. We're in this together. The word of God is powerful. And I want us to trust. Lock eyes with me. I want you to trust that this word is good and that there is goodness in you, and that God's not done. So let us trust the motive of love for us to walk in purity, not as perfectionists pointing out other sins, but saying, I was once lost, and now I've been found. I was once caught in the undertow, but he came and he waved me back home. I was once blind, but now I can see, and I want you to see too. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news of the word of God. It is the good news that saved me from a church girl that knew how to lie and just showed up on Sundays to somebody who was crazy enough to go wherever God says go to tell whoever will listen that he's still moving. God loves you. He's not done. We are family. So let's get out there and let's tell somebody, even in our brokenness, he's still a miracle working God and he can still do great things. The motive is love. Let's love him and let's love one another enough to get out there and make it happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.